You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good to be with you guys. My name is Stan Hike. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. You're like, I thought we were in Exodus. We have been. We're taking a break from Exodus this morning, and we're going to look at two verses out of 1 Timothy chapter 4, and they'll be verses 7 and 8. And so uh, we're taking a break, and we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines this morning, and more specifically, this idea of Lent. And I don't know, when you hear Lent, if it throws you a little bit, I kind of grew up in a uh, much more traditional church, we'll say, and when I think of Lent... It takes me back to like the high school cafeteria days on Friday. You know what I'm talking about? When that, that uh, stuff they called fish, that smell, I, I say it was called fish because it didn't taste like fish, uh, but it just permeated the cafeteria. Anybody have that experience, right? Like you're like, please be cheese pizza. No, it's fish. And so you just slather it in tartar sauce. And so when you think Lent, perhaps you're thinking, is that what it is? Because as I remember just trying to trade my fish sandwich away for somebody's chocolate milk. And when that didn't happen, you're like, okay, I'm going to eat this. And through this suffering, somehow identify with the sufferings of Jesus. Now, that's not what I was thinking, but, but it was uh, terrible. And so when you think Lent, maybe you think of that. And that's why we, on our little handout, you see Lent, and in the small print there, redefined and repurposed. And so we're getting this all from this idea in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, or 8, uh, 7 and 8, and it'll be on your screens. Paul tells Timothy this. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Okay, those are our two verses that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what is godliness. We're going to try and define that. Why? Why pursue godliness? Why train? How are we going to train? And when do we do that? And so first we're talking about what? What is godliness? Let's define that. And simply put, if you're taking notes, godliness, I would say, is becoming more like Jesus. So that idea is we pursue godliness, we would become more humble. There would be a greater amount of boldness that would come with us. There's kindness, uh, be more loving, patient, serving, caring, all those things you associate with the person of Jesus. To grow in godliness simply means to become more like Jesus. And the call here is, is to train ourselves in godliness, which you can assume right away. If you have to train, it doesn't come natural. In the same regards that no one is naturally just fit. No one is just, it's something that you work at. And so the idea that he he correlates here is both godliness and bodily strength are obtained through training. I'm going to tell you about uh, my friend Brian Dermody, okay? Brian Dermody, right now he currently serves as a pastor, a community pastor in one of our network churches in Iowa City, Iowa. Brian is perhaps the most fit person that I know personally, and uh, I can't wait to tell you about him. Uh, Brian, he, he's 270 pounds of like solid muscle, and I'm not talking like the show muscle. I'm talking about the muscle that is like real muscle that lifts really heavy things. To give you a context of Brian, Brian, before he became New York Jets, he worked 
for the New York Jets, Jets as a strength and conditioning coach. Give you an idea of how serious this guy is. Right? He has been training now um, since the 90s. I talked to him. I said, tell me a little bit about what it entails. He said, well, the first thing that, that most people see um, when they look at my life is the, the dieting habits, the, the, how I eat, basically. I said, well, how do you eat? He says, I have to consume, in order to maintain this figure, I have to consume 270 grams of protein every day. Some of you are shaking your head like, that's a lot of chickens that gave their life so Brian could eat them. Right? He, he packs his lunch everywhere. He eats six to seven meals a day, and he packs his lunch everywhere. When I first met him, you have this hulk of a man like carrying around his like, little lunch pail. He opens it up, and it's just like, Cans of tuna, like raw broccoli, like chicken breast, and like some beef jerky. Like that's what he eats regularly. Uh, every, every day, 270 grams of protein. He, I, it doesn't matter where. You're like, he, does he take that everywhere with him? I'm saying yes, everywhere. In fact, when we get together, it's usually at these conferences or whatever, and he'll just tote that thing like right into the restaurant. I've yet to see some cute little waitress be like, um, excuse me, sir, you can't have that in here. Like, nobody's telling Brian what to do, right? Like, he'd take his lunch pail wherever he wants. Uh, I said, when's the last time, Brian, like, you, you know, come on. Like, when's the last time you had a Mountain Dew or, or something like that? And he goes, ah, oh, 1995. I'm like, oh, you measure in years. He's like, yeah, that's, that's when I was kind of done with donuts, hot dogs, and Mountain Dew. I'm like, well, that sounds like my diet. And so like, he's given those things up to, in order to maintain uh, this level of, of strength. He gets nine hours of sleep a night, like militantly gets nine hours of sleep a night. He drinks a gallon of water uh, every day. When I talked to him on the phone the other day, uh, it was 8.45. He'd already been up for four or five hours. He gets up usually at five o'clock in order to go work out. And when I talked to him at 8.45, I said, well, what'd you have this morning? He's like, well, just before you called, I finished up uh, my breakfast, which was a Tupperware full of raw broccoli. Do you get an idea of the dedication? Okay. The result of all Brian's training? Well, I have a picture. Again, not show muscles, Real muscles. You're like, that guy is terrifying. And he's a pastor, right? That is Brian Dermody. And uh, when I called him, you guys are like, wow, that looks heavy. Yeah, you see how the bar is bending? That's because Brian is, is so strong. Um, when I called him, this give you an idea. He was on his way to a weightlifting competition called the Arnold Classic, as in Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is a world competition. Brian is one of 12 men competing in the deadlift. I said, Brian, what are you hoping to lift? He will lift off the ground. He's hoping to clear over 800 pounds. And you just shake your head. You're like, that ain't right. Right. Like, that's the result of training. That, that comes through a lifestyle of discipline, through tons of hard work. You can see in the next picture, this is him like celebrating, and he smiles occasionally after he lifts 800 pounds. He thought that was fun. And so this is his idea of entertainment. And so um, that's Brian Dermy. He works so hard. He wasn't born that way. It's through years 
of training that now he is in his prime and he hopes this morning as he competes to perhaps win the field at a world level in deadlift competition. What Paul's saying, he's saying bodily training, it's of some value. But godliness, he goes on to say, is value, has value in every way as it holds promise in the present life and life to come. So we're talking about what godliness is defined simply becoming more like Jesus. Why is he saying it holds value more than bodily strength? I mean, Brian, it, there's some strength. Paul gives you that. To be strong, that's of some value. If you're with Brian and a small house falls upon you, like the fact that he has that strength, it's of some value. But he's saying godliness holds value in all things, both in the present life and the life to come. So the question of why, why train to be more like Jesus? Why train in godliness? And before I give you a greater explanation of why, let me turn the tables and say, why would you not? Why not train in godliness? And I had to ask that question as I'm preparing, you're trying to interact and say, well, what's, what's going to be the pushback in this? And for me, when I hear, oh, you need to train yourself in godliness, the problem that I have with that phrase and that challenge is with the word train. Because that's going to suggest that it's actually going to take some effort and some hard work. And quite honestly, that just sounds like hard work. That just sounds challenging. I mean, if you're being honest with yourself, look at your, your disciplines, your training, your Bible reading. Is it not easier to grab a remote and start a whole new Netflix season than it is to pick up your Bible or hit your knees in prayer or, or to embark in, in fasting? I mean, the, the objection I think I have to this, and perhaps if we're being honest, is that it's going to take effort. And so how the why, answering why training godliness, I understand that from your perspective and mine, that the why we should do this, the answer that Paul's going to give us, has to be enough motivation to actually bring about change. And so I just want to set that up. So why train? Why do this? Why Again, because it's going to be easier to not do it. And I think one of the most helpful realizations that God gave me this past week was interacting with Todd Van Voorst. He's one of our leaders within our church. And it comes from this phrase, and I think we got a slide for it too. Todd shared it with me. The first time I heard it is, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. Meaning, you will pay a cost. You can either pay it up front with sweat, or you'll pay it, pay it on the back end in blood. But nonetheless, you will pay for it. Does that make sense? And this is in, in reference to training. You can either train for war and sweat and put in the work and perhaps avoid a little bit of blood when it comes time. And here's the reality. is it, it, We have to correlate that if we exchange time in God's Word with new seasons on Netflix... Like, we are going to pay for that. It's easier on the front end, but on the back end. How much value does knowing the characters of some season of Netflix help you when your child is struggling? How does that help you interact with this, uh, a coworker or a friend that might be hurting? Does that make sense? How does that anchor you in the promises of God in your relationship with him? You will pay for it. 
Not on the front end, but on the back end. That lack of discipline will catch up. In the same regard, if you consume 4,000 calories a day and you don't work out or do anything, like you will pay for that on the back end. It goes along with just this idea from Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. There is a cost that will be paid for the lack of godly discipline. And so why, why not just be lazy? Because I'm saying it will catch us up with us. And Paul gives us uh, uh, these uh, why. He says it holds promise in the present life and the life to come. Paying for it on the front end, sweating, leads to what? These promises. He says, and I think a couple of them that would be implied are for your own personal gain. If you put the time in and pursue godliness to train You've seen these people that are anchored in the truths of God, that know their Bible, and there's a, there's a firm foundation. If you've read the book of Acts, you see these guys going and, uh, and facing so much persecution. In fact, I think it was, it was Paul that they're thrown in jail in Philippi. But yet these guys are so anchored, they're so in community with God, that at midnight, they're there singing worship songs while in chains. The, 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 the result of, a, of a, a disciplined life, one that is trained in godliness, gives you confidence as children of God. Gives you joy in all circumstances. It's, it's void of anxiousness. It has a boldness. When you walk so closely with God, there, there's just this understanding of his love, his, his patience, his peace within you. And you know super spiritual people that they're just, they seem unshakable. And what scripture is saying is that's a result of training in godliness. That's a result of knowing who God is in the promises and becoming more like Jesus. The result of that is a more stable, anchored life. Doesn't that sound nice? And that comes through pursuing the Lord. And the, the other result of that, of having an anchored life, is that it makes Jesus known to others. Because when you see people endure trial or, or those things in that way, it causes you to, to question when they're so strong. Outside people look at that and they're like, how are you not more shaken? I think one of the, the greatest kind of uh, places we see this is when somebody that truly trusts Jesus, love him, loves him, dies and goes to heaven. For Christians at the funeral, it's a joyous celebration that they get to go home and be with the Lord. I think that's, a, again, it's proving this, this promise in this life that there's, there's a witnessing power to that anchored life, that people can look at that and say, man, there's something different. Richard Foster says this about spiritual disciplines in his book. He said, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. There's a desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Meaning our world is hungry for genuinely changed deep people. And we are, when we are rooted, when there's that level of depth, it says something to the outside world. But he's saying beyond even the present life for your own personal gain and for our own evangelistic effort to make Jesus known, he's saying there's promise in the life to come that goes along with what Jesus said. He said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. 
And before studying this, honestly, I was just kind of confident, like, if I can just get in to heaven, like, that's, I'll take that, right? Like, just being with God in heaven seems like that should be enough. But, but Jesus said, no, you should seek to store up treasures in heaven. And Paul lived that out in his life. Here's why. Here's why. And I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up. The any reward or honor that we're going to gain in heaven is based on what we do here through the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? We don't get, you don't get a reward in heaven like, you lifted 800 pounds, here's your pin. Right? The rewards that we store up in heaven come from a life of being in tune with God, walking with him and doing things together. And so therefore, seeking to, it holds promise in the life to come. What he's saying is, therefore, any rewards in heaven that we receive will remind us of what he did through us on earth. They will be precious to us because they carry the weight and meaning of our relationship with God. That's why it holds promise in the life to come, uh, this pursuit of godliness. I think for an example, those of us that, that moved and said, you know what, we'll sell our homes, we'll find new jobs to come help start a church. It seems like that's one of the things that God would say, hey, that is, that's great. I can imagine, I don't know what it looks like to receive reward in heaven, but if there's like some like church planter pin that we get, again, it's not like, oh, look it, but it reminds us of, oh, I remember when, God, you sold our home before we ever listed it on the market. God, I remember stepping out in faith, not knowing where we would work or where we live or what we do and how you provided. Do you understand that the rewards that we receive in heaven remind us of how God provided our relationship with him. He's saying it holds promise to pursue godliness, to to walk with him, because it holds promise and value not only in this life, but in the life to come. Godliness is becoming more like Jesus, is valuable, and so how are we going to train? Now we understand why it's important. How are we going to go about this? You have to understand that Paul is telling Timothy this. Timothy's a young pastor. He would tell the Corinthians this. Paul didn't just say stuff and then not do it. He told the Corinthians, he said, I beat my body. I make it a slave. There's this discipline. He would go on in 1 Corinthians 15. I think we have the slide. He would say this. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But he is saying in verse 9, I am the least of the apostles. In verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. What'd you do with that? He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Do you understand what he just said? You know the apostles, you know Peter, you know those guys. God, by his grace, saved me. And Paul, with a clean conscience, tells the Corinthians, and you can ask him, I work harder than any of them. It's a bold claim, but, but Paul, without a doubt, pursued God and trained in that way. What was the result? God used Paul to plant churches, to write so much of the New Testament. Again, this training, this dependency upon God, the result of it was that it started the Protestant Reformation. He's famous for commenting. He said, I have, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. Does that make sense? It's not just like, a, I'm going to try harder. 
But the training in godliness, training in spiritual disciplines is like, I'm going to pursue God more fervently. Because that's how anything's going to get done around here. It's John 15, 5. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so understand, big picture, that this training in godliness is training us to be more in tune with God. Because it's only through him that these things are going to be accomplished. So how do you train in godliness? Ways are, they're all going to kind of revolve around these spiritual disciplines. And this is not an exhaustive list. It's just an example of a few. Training such as prayer, fasting, meditation, memorization, worship, evangelism. These are just some examples of spiritual disciplines that God has given us on how we can train. Right? It's like if you're going to go lift weights, there's, there's curls, there's squats, there's, there's a number of different things. The idea is gain strength. With these spiritual disciplines, there's a number of them, but the idea is that we would be more in tune with God through doing them. How I can best illustrate this, if you can imagine for a moment uh, a boat, and not like one with like a big engine that pulls skiers, but a sailboat, just a simple little sailboat. Put it out in a big body of water. For that sailboat to move, you have to hoist the sails, right? Without those, it's probably not going to work out so well. So you hoist the sails. But even then, does putting up sails, does that actually move the boat? No. Wind is what moves the boat. But the sails, putting those up, puts the boat in a much better position to be moved, does it not? Could the wind move the boat without sails? Sure. But hoisting the sails puts that boat in the best position to be moved. What I'm saying is spiritual disciplines, they don't in and of themselves move us to godliness. But they put us in a better position to be moved by God, to hear from him. That makes sense? You have a better opportunity to hear God's voice as you pray and you read your Bible than if you didn't hoist the sails in that way. And so again, the, the goal is not to just simply put the sails up. The goal of a sailor is to, to sail. And hoisting the sails is a, is a part of that process. The, the goal of a Christian is to, to be in step with the Lord, to be moved by him, to be dependent upon his spirit. And what God is saying is there are certain disciplines that he's given us, that put us in a better position to be moved, to hear from the Lord. And in doing so, causes us to be more anchored, to be a better witness, and store up treasures in heaven. And so how? How do we do these disciplines? You're like, I've never heard of some of these before. As you look on your sheet, you're like, what's the discipline of simplicity? Here's what we're proposing. you got to start somewhere. It might not be perfect, but I know my first time in the gym, you're like, he works out? Not much, right? I just started back. But the first time, it's like, you got to start somewhere. And I'm telling you, it was painful. And I fear that, that as Christians, perhaps we've gotten a little bit lazy at times. I'm saying it, it's going to hurt a little bit, but the, the idea is, is to start somewhere. And so what our leadership team is proposing is a six-week intensive time to sweat it out a bit. Six weeks of strong spiritual disciplines in hopes to create a new normal moving forward. So as we train, we're going to do this together. And again, the goal is not the end of doing the disciplines in and of themselves. 
The hope is that we would grow closer to God, that we'd grow closer in community and be conformed to his image, be more like Jesus, grow in godliness. And so you can see on your little handout, we've got a number of these. Week one, simplicity, fasting, prayer, the discipline of hospitality, service, evangelism. Again, this isn't exhaustive, but it's some disciplines. And let me start. So every week, this is how it works, is you now have that. There's readings that are correlated with that specific topic. And so what we would ask is throughout the course of the week, you would read those. There's also a memory verse that goes along with it. So you're talking six memory verses. Somebody like, I don't have six verses memorized, period, if you put me on the spot. I'm like, after this, you should. You should have six new Bible verses memorized. And so we're going to memorize together. We're going to read together. And then we're going to do this challenge together and focus. And so we'll put it in your program. And so this week is simplicity. And we'll kind of go through it together. Here's what we mean by simplicity. Let's take this one and unpack it a little bit more. And you can see the write-up kind of in your program. And again, this will be online uh, too on our website. But all week, what we're saying is to slow down and better hear from the Lord and better hear from others. How do you do that? I think one of the biggest distractions from us, at least for me, is this little thing right here. You know what I'm talking about? This phone? In our culture, I, I, I was so convicted this past week as I'm studying this, and my wife's just laughing. She's like, I've been telling you that. And I'm like, yeah, took the Holy Spirit telling me too. Um, but this thing, how many of you, whether you're in a meeting or something, have it out on the table? You don't have to raise your hand. But maybe well, you're like, well, it's face down. Yeah, because that buzzing isn't distracting, right? This communicates something. Even as I pull it out now, perhaps you're slightly distracted by it because it begins to communicate that the most important thing in the room might not be you anymore, but it might be this right here. What I'm asking, I think some, some people are going to add the amen and jab their spouse a little bit. What I'm asking is that when you come home from work or when you come back to your dorm room or with roommates, that you put this away. Again, not face down. I'm saying away. And the hope would be that we'd be able to engage others around us, that, that when you're, you're walking or, or, or you're at a place that you want to say, well, I got a few minutes, let me check my email, let me do some things. I'm saying is that, that it would be a way and you'd be able to use those moments to pray. I think this is one of the biggest killers in my life of just those short little prayers before a meeting starts. This is one of the, the biggest killers of, of just being able to seek God before those little things, before the start of a class, before whatever it is. And what I'm asking, <laughs> it's intense, I know, that's why we call it uh, spiritual disciplines, it's going to be painful, is that you would take a little bit of a fast from your phone this week. That you would take a little bit of fast from social media. Perhaps you have, it's Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, I don't know what it is, but is there a website that you find yourself gravitating towards? You're like, well, it's not my phone, it's just something. What I'm saying is for a week, one week, you would discipline yourself to say, I, I'm, I'm not gonna hear from that for a while. I wanna hear from the Lord and I wanna hear from others. Do you understand how that might equate to us being able to draw closer to the Lord? And moreover, uh, not just stopping there, but I would say, 
Guys, there's other things that distract us. I think possessions, as you look at kind of in the program, one of the things we're also challenging you to do is to purge, simplify. The discipline of simplicity means get rid of some things. Some of y'all moved from Iowa and you've been moving boxes from house to house. If you have not opened it in the past four years, you don't need it. And what we're saying is that this would be a good week in the life of our church to get rid of stuff. I can't wait. I, I fully anticipate taking some garbage sacks, going into my closet, going in the garage, loading that stuff up and getting rid of it. Because the reality is, is just stuff can have a hold on you. It, it just, it's there. And what I'm saying is simplify, Anthem Church, that we would simplify in order to, again, take that time and redirect it towards the Lord and towards others. That's this week. And so here's, before you completely like, oh yeah, I'm smash my phone, like I'm done. Before you do that, you can, here, you can take it out actually. And we've got a slide. I know that this is going to take some accountability. And we want to be that. And I think this is a good thing to do within connection groups. This is a good thing to do within community, especially when you start to get into things like fasting and praying to have some accountability. And Nick will leave that up. But if you want that accountability, if you're saying, sign me up, we're not going to spam you with a ton of stuff, but there's some additional readings that might be helpful on these topics. There's going to be some additional things. Again, you can just text your, your name and then your cell phone carrier. That's important. And we'll just plug you into like our online thing and then we'll be able to send you those updates. And so you can write that number down if you want to do it later or you can do it right now. Just text your, your name and your cell phone carrier, that's important, to that number. And we want to hold you accountable because we want to do this as a church. We want to do this as a church and proceed forward. And so what is it? We talked about that. Why do it? You're going to pay the cost. You can either pay them in sweat or you can pay them in blood. How are we going to do it? It's not a perfect thing, but we're going to start with this. And then when? And some of you, again, maybe were thrown by the title of Lent. When you hear that, you think, oh man, I don't know if that's for us. Lent is a period of fasting, moderation, and self-denial. And you're right, it's traditionally observed by Catholics and some Protestant denominations leading up to the time of Easter. The idea behind it is you set aside a particular period of time to focus on Jesus' death, resurrection. And that seemingly has some value. But I get it that Lent, has unfortunately, over the course of time, taken on more of like a sacramental value. Meaning that if you, you do these things and if you go without and you attend extra services, by doing these things, you'll obtain more of a right standing with God. If you do these works, that God will look on you with favor. And I want to be absolutely clear, Anthem Church, we are in no way saying that or suggesting that it seems so contrary to what scripture would say. It's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has done. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it's by grace we've been saved through faith, not by works so that we could boast. It is a gift from Jesus. Romans 6, 23, it is the free gift of God through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And so repenting of sin, fasting, because this isn't something we should just do during Lent. That's something that should be done all year round. 
right? It, it, it should be uh, something we cultivate in our life where we continually pursue God. And so in no way am I suggesting that, well, for a period, let's be repentant and let's pursue the Lord. No, that's all of life. But, but I do think there is some value to saying, okay, we're going to start here. This is going to be a start, and hopefully it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring about a disciplined life. And so why start now? Guys, Easter, for the Christian, it's our Super Bowl. It's when Jesus defeated death. Apart from that, Paul would tell the Corinthians, if there's no resurrection of the dead, there's no hope in eternal life. He's like, we're to be pitied beyond all because here we are abstaining from things, but if there's no hope in heaven, it's all for naught. But the fact that there is life after life, and we have that because Jesus ascended into heaven, that hope, this is, this is a big deal. The fact that he rose from the grave, if he just died on the cross, our sins would be forgiven, but that doesn't make a way for us to have a right standing with God in heaven. So the fact that he resurrected, this is our Super Bowl. This is the, this is the big deal. This is our whole faith hinges upon what Jesus accomplished, and we celebrate that at the time of Easter. If there was ever a time to be motivated, it would seem like in light of Easter that that should serve as proper motivation to embark on some of these spiritual disciplines. And so what I'm asking as a church is that we would band together, we would redeem what Lent has become for so many as a workspace thing and say, no, it's a Jesus thing and we want to pursue him and we'd give it some new meaning, repurpose it, and go forward. And the idea, again, is to hoist the sails in hopes to be more like our Savior, Jesus, and to grow closer to him. And so I really am excited to do this together and with you guys. I'm going to pray for us as the band comes back up. God, we do. We want more of you, and even now, I guess even now, if, if, you are, if you've had an undisciplined life, go ahead and confess that to the Lord. Something effective, Lord, forgive me for being lazy. Forgive me for being lazy in prayer. Forgive me for being lazy with Scripture. First step is just acknowledging what's true, where you're really at. And God, I just personally acknowledge it. And there's so much training I need in godliness. And and we just pray together as a church, as we kind of come together to hoist the sails that you would bring the wind, that you would move us. God, that you would meet with us. These little steps of obedience. God, would you bless them mightily? Would you bring us along? Would the joy be ours in obeying you and following you? So, Lord, we offer up this time and we say we want to intensely meet with you. Would you meet with us? And so, God, please, would you move mightily? And again, not that the end goal is completing the checklist, not that the, uh, the end goal is to, to finish, 
but it's to be changed. And so, Lord, would you change us as we get in your word, as we pray together, as we memorize scripture, as we embark on this journey, would you change us? We just surrender that to you and invite you to do that. In the name of Jesus, 